This is the Trey Blocker Show, starring Charlie Hodge and Trey Blocker. And now, here's Trey Blocker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Trey Blocker Show. Today, we are very honored to have former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee on the show. Uh, Governor Huckabee served as the governor of Arkansas from 1996 to 2007, which made him one of the longest-serving governors in Arkansas history. In his 2008 presidential campaign, he came in second to Senator John McCain. Uh, from tw 2008 to 2015, he hosted Huckabee on Fox News, which was the number one rated weekend show. Uh, today, Governor Huckabee is a New York Times best-selling author, uh, a Fox News contributor, and one of the most sought-after conservative speakers in the country. Governor Huckabee, thanks for joining us on the Trey Blocker Show. Great to be with you, Trey. Thank you very much. Governor, you are joining us live from Destin, Florida, just as Hurricane Irma has uh, lost its punch. How are things down there and how can we help? Well, in this part of Florida, up in the Panhandle, we were very, very fortunate. We pretty much dodged the bullet. We had uh, the effects of a tropical storm, but a very light one. And compared to what so many people, especially in South Florida and then up around Jacksonville have experienced, uh, we just simply didn't see the damage. So we ended up uh, housing some evacuees from Tampa at our home. Uh, we helped batten down the hatches for some of our neighbors who were out of town and weren't able to even get back. Uh, but as it turned out, I mean, other than some wind and a little bit of rain, we just didn't have the uh, impact that so many people across Florida did. I mean, I think it's like one out of three people in the state lost power that's just a stunning amount of people who are without electricity and many of them are going to be without it for weeks so uh, while i'm very grateful that we didn't have a huge problem i'm extremely mindful that there are uh, friends and neighbors in other parts of the, the state that are really going through some very hard times well absolutely and and as we've dealt with hurricane harvey here in texas i continue to remind folks that um Although the news crews are here now, they're in Florida now, and they're, they're documenting the, the damage that's been done to, to, the, to property and to livelihoods, uh, these folks are going to have a hard time digging out of this, and they're going to be doing so for, for months and probably years to come, so we can't forget them. And so once again, I'm going to take an opportunity to encourage people to donate to the Salvation Army, the Red Cross, or a charity of your choice uh, to, to make sure that we help these folks recover, and we'll continue to pray for Florida from here in Texas. Well, I think that's uh, very generous. And I, and I do think this is a time when people reach out to their friends and neighbors, uh, not just the ones they know, but the ones they don't know, but that's right. still friends and neighbors. And we've seen America at its best in the response to these storms. Uh, we sometimes think of America as a very polarized country and very divided. And politically, that's true. But when some natural disaster like Harvey or Irma uh, hits people and we see it. I, I don't think there's a person, regardless of his or her political persuasion, uh, who is unmoved by the plight and realize, hey, but by the grace of God, there go I. So uh, That's right. it's been an amazing response to these hurricanes. And, and it just reminds me, this still is a great country. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Governor, I'd love to give my audience a little more background on you. You were born and raised in Arkansas. You married your wife, Janet, in 1974. You have three grown children, five grandchildren. Uh, you got your degree from 
Wachita Baptist University. Now, did I say that correctly, Governor? You're pretty close, Trey. It's Washita Baptist University. Washita. Doesn't look like that. It's it's an Indian name, and uh, it's pronounced Washita, but it's spelled O-U-A-C-H-I-T-A. And when people just look at it, they'll say, "Ooh, I cheated." <laughs> Trying to right. come up with all sorts of right. pronunciations, but it's it's Washita. By the way, okay. I have six grandchildren now. Six. Well, congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. All of them are six years of age and younger, so they're all bunched up right there in those uh, toddler years. And, oh, wow. And they make some noise when they're all together. <laughs> I bet so. So you also attended Southwestern Baptist Seminary in Fort Worth. Uh, you were a pastor at Pine Bluff Baptist Church in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, in Beach Street First Baptist in Texarkana. So, Governor, without meaning any uh, disrespect, you were on a good path to heaven. What made you decide to get involved in politics? Well, my first career was actually uh, radio, television, and advertising. And the pastorate for me was somewhat of a detour of almost uh, a little over 11 years. But my first job was um, in radio, and that led to uh, getting me through school. And from there, I expected to go into Christian communications, primarily Christian television, and one day run for office. And that was my plan. And so I ran an ad agency for a while, did a lot of radio and television. Uh, it's kind of a long story, but the short version is a church asked me to come fill in. I did. Okay. They asked me to come be an interim for them. I did. Then they said, we want you to stay and be the pastor. And it was kind of a unusual experience for me. And uh, yet, you know, I felt that's what I needed to do. So I did and was there for six years and then went to a church in Texarkana, Arkansas, where I was for five and a half years. Um, wonderful experience. And it was really like an incredible graduate school for me to learn all about uh, people and uh, the, the challenges that people have to face. And then uh, kind of through a series of circumstances, I went into a denominational position as president of the Baptist Convention in Arkansas, and the doors opened up for me to run for public office. My first race was not successful, a race for the U.S. Senate. Right. But the following year, there was a special election for lieutenant governor in Arkansas because Bill Clinton had been elected president. The lieutenant governor became governor. There was an opening uh, in the lieutenant governor's slot. I ran. No one thought that I would win. Uh, mainly because Republicans just did not win in Arkansas. Sure. But I shocked the political establishment and did win, and uh, then reelected, and then became governor when the governor of the state had to resign uh, from Whitewater felony convictions. Right. And so that made you only the third uh, statewide elected Republican since Reconstruction. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, there had been like a 25-year lapse when anyone had been in office. And uh, that was Frank White, the governor, who only served two years. So, uh, you know, it was an oddity. And when I became governor, the legislature was 89 Democrats to 11 Republicans in the House, 31 Democrats and four Republicans in the Senate. And over 91% of all elected officials in the state were Democrat. There were no other Republicans at the state capitol when I was elected lieutenant governor. I was the only one. Uh, on a statewide basis. And uh, they were so angry that I won that my door to the office of lieutenant governor was nailed shut from the inside 
that was ordered by Webb Hubble, who was working at the White House at the time. Right. And it was just a bizarre thing. And it remained nailed shut for 59 days before oh, wow. the door finally got open. And I was able to occupy the uh, physical office of the lieutenant governor. Well, that's just rude. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of rude. But, you know, it was one of those uh, moments, Trey, where I think uh, there are moments in our lives when things that are intended to hurt us actually end up helping us. Mm. And that was a great example because people in this state, even those who didn't vote for me, were furious. They were outraged that uh, the political establishment would not honor the results of an election. Sure. And so when I had to run for re-election the following year, rather than squeaking by in a victory, I won with the largest vote ever received by a Republican in the state's history. And it was sort of a, a reminder that uh, there are a lot of people who at that time, they may have been Democrats in their terms of their registry, but they were they were decent-minded people who knew that the treatment that uh, I was delivered at the state capitol was just flat out wrong. And it reminded so many of them that there was a political machine in the state and it right. had run over people. And so uh, it was a great opportunity to say, it's time to unplug the political machine. And that's what we did. Good. Congratulations. So uh, go, uh, President Bill Clinton plays the saxophone. You play the bass guitar. So is there some constitutional requirement in Arkansas that you have to play a musical instrument to be governor? Uh, I think there is. Yeah, okay. I think it's Article 4, Section <laughs> 6. Uh, in order to be governor, one must play a musical instrument. You know, it's interesting that uh, most of the people I guess I know and grew up with, most had some kind of uh, musical inclination. And I've been asked, well, why is that? Well, part of it is that many of us grew up poor. And quite frankly, the only form of entertainment was to sit out on your porch and maybe, uh, you know, play music with the people in the neighborhood. That was part of it. Um, I think a lot of it, too, is that church played such a major role in the way many of us grew up. Sure. And of course, music is a very vital part of, of, of church and church life. So that contributed to the idea that people participated in music. Then for me, the big factor was the Beatles came to, uh, to America. And uh, boy, that was life changing for me. I always thought I was going to be the fifth Beatle. <laughs> Somehow that never happened. But, uh, you know, I still to this day continue to play bass guitar. And, you know, maybe one day Paul McCartney will hear me and say, he's our guy. Let's put him in the, uh, well, in the band for Wings. I, th I think you just missed the phone call. I'm sure he's called already. Uh, so, Governor, sure he didn't. <laughs> your fellow musician, Kid Rock, is running for the U.S. Senate. Do you plan to endorse him? You know, probably will. I'm, I'm really taken by people who are unconventional, uh, in part because I feel like that Washington is so disconnected from the people of America. Uh, I'm so angry right now at the Republicans in Congress. We worked hard to give them the majorities in the House and the Senate, and they're squandering them. Right. And if the establishment and the people who are there can't get the job done, then I'm ready to retire every last one of them and send some people there who can be as disruptive as this president is willing to be, uh, people who will work for the interest of working class people and not to be so beholden to the donor class uh, who live and work in Washington. 
Sure. Well, um, you know, speaking of President Trump, after you ended your presidential campaign in 2016, you endorsed Donald Trump for president. Uh, your daughter, Sarah, is now the press secretary for the White House. So can you give us some insight into how she's doing there? It's, it's been a tumultuous time at the White House. Well, that's, that's an understatement. <laughs> I mean, I think she's having the time of her life. Uh, she's well suited for it. She's grown up in politics from the time she was a little girl. So none of this is shocking to her. It's not overwhelming. And I think people who watch her at the press briefings can see that she's very calm. She doesn't get all excited. She doesn't, uh, you know, let the reporters uh, rattle her if they ask tough questions. She understands that's their job. Right. Um, and I think she's brought sort of a, a level of dignity. She hasn't raise the temperature when she walks into the room. Um, and frankly, she doesn't escalate the tension as so many times uh, has happened in the, in the press briefing. So for all of those reasons, I'm very proud of her. And uh, the president loves Sarah. He, he talks about her all the time. And when I talk to him, he'll always say, you know, Huckabee, you're a good guy. I like you, but your daughter, she's better. She's even better than you. And so it's always a kick talking to him. And as a dad, I don't mind at all him thinking that she's better than me. That's just fine. So do you, do you find yourself tuning in more to watch the press briefings, or do you, do you not want to see them? Oh, no. I, I try to catch them whenever I can. If I'm near a television and have the time, you know, I'm going to tune in and watch, and sometimes I'll, uh, you know, send her little coaching tips. But, frankly, she doesn't need a whole lot of coaching. She's, she's doing a great job. Really good at her job. I'm really proud of her, and I think – you know, she understands that uh, sometimes the smart thing to say is to not say a whole lot more. And I think that's an incredible discipline and a very difficult one. Uh, she's real good. At, she doesn't really, you know, want to go into depth. She'll just move on to the next question. If people are asking her um, the same question over and over, she just moves on. That's really smart. And that's what she, uh, she frankly has to do. Sure. So, Governor, a lot of uh, discussion has been had lately about President Trump's decision to rescind the Obama administration's uh, order on DACA, which allowed um, children who are brought here as minors illegally to stay and not face deportation. Uh, you know, in your autobiography, From Hope to Higher Ground, you said that your experience dealing with people uh, who were genuinely affected by policies created by governments gave you a deep understanding of the fragility of the human spirit um, and the vulnerability of so many families and the struggles that they go through on a week-to-week -week basis. So nobody can argue that you are not a compassionate person. Uh, so I'd love to get your thoughts on, on DACA and how President Trump has handled this. Well, first of all, I think so many people, and especially on the left, have, have really been unfair to the president. By giving a six months extension, he's saying, let's get this fixed. You know, we're not trying to run up a mass deportation of the people covered under DACA. But everybody has to recall that President Obama almost 22 times said that he could not do uh, what he ended up doing. He said That's he right. couldn't do it because it was unconstitutional and he wasn't a king. And he repeatedly said this, he even said it in front of Hispanic audiences because he frankly couldn't do it. And then one day he just woke up and decided, as he famously said, I have a pen and a phone. And by executive order, he did something that was clearly unconstitutional. 
That was a legislative decision. He violated the separation of powers from the Constitution to do it. But here's what's sad. The Republicans in the Congress did absolutely nothing to call him out on that and to challenge him. But neither did they do anything to create a legislative pathway so that we wouldn't uh, do harm to these kids who came to America, not because they made a decision, but sure. because their parents did. Right. And I've long, Trey, been a, a strong believer in that we don't punish children for something their parents did. And part of the reason that we have the problem we have with illegal immigration is because our immigration laws were so antiquated, they were so very, very cumbersome that people who were desperate to come for work and for their families, um, they violated the law. Let's be fair, that's what they did. But they did it because the way that we had created the system was so incredibly difficult that many of them neither had the time nor the money to try to go through the maze of what we created. So we made it easier for people to be here illegally than we did for them to be here legally. and. The result was that a lot of kids grew up, they only knew the U.S. Uh, we had a kid in Arkansas, he was the valedictorian of one of our largest high schools, came here when he was four years old. The only schools he ever had gone to were Arkansas schools. Then he graduates, top of his class, one of the biggest high schools, and here's the question, should we let that kid go to college? Well, my argument was yes, we should, and I pushed for legislation that would have allowed him to be treated as any other student who graduated the high school. Obviously, it was not always a popular position. Many people were angry at me, still are, for taking that position. But I think the president at the national level has done exactly what he should do. He said, we've got to fix this legislatively because we want to do it right and we have to do it in a constitutional manner. There are at least 10 states that have already sued the federal government. If the president had not taken the action he did, then there could have been a court decision that would have rendered these kids really in trouble. And I say these kids, the average age of a person under DACA is 23. Right. And many of them go up to the age of 36. So I think we have this image that they're little children, you know, eight, nine years old. It's not really that way at all. Um, but I think the president should be given credit for trying to deal with this in a responsible and constitutional manner. And unfortunately, uh, Democrats who controlled the White House, the House, and the Senate, and could have passed something like this when they had it all, I think the big question is, how come they didn't do it? Sure. They could have done this. Why didn't they? And to the Republicans and the Democrats in the Congress, if you feel so strongly about it in Congress, then fix it. You have the right. The president will sign it, but it has to originate with the legislative branch. And, and that's how it should be. But what confidence do you have in Congress at this point to actually do that? very little, which I'm sad and ashamed to say. I have very little confidence. This is a Congress that for seven and a half years, the Republicans said, give us the House and the Senate and we will repeal and replace Obamacare. And they didn't. They said, we'll get rid of the Iranian deal. They didn't. They said, we'll defund Planned Parenthood. They haven't. They said they would reform taxes. They haven't. Trey, I'm looking at all the things that they made promises on, and I'm frankly disgusted that Mitch McConnell said that well, the expectations were excessive. No, they weren't. They were the expectations that were given to us by the leaders of the House and Senate. I went out in 2014, Trey, and campaigned in 37 states for Republicans to be elected to the House 
especially to the Senate and to other positions, because we all said, gosh, we got the House, but let's get the Senate. And then in 2016, we'll get the White House and then we can get America back on track. Right. Well, all of us who gave generously out of our pockets and we worked our hearts out and we get these guys elected and they can't even melt butter with a with a flamethrower. I'm sorry. I, I, I just I'm fed up with them. And many of them spend more time criticizing the president than they do in trying to put legislation on his desk. And I'm tired of their grandstanding. I'm tired of their uh, arrogant uh, me first approach to being legislators. And I'm just ready for some Republicans to either lead, follow or get the heck out of the way. Sure. And, and, and I would think that uh, most of these folks who are in Congress should realize that the election of Donald Trump as president was a mandate to get the things done that you just talked about, yet they still don't seem to have the will to get them done. And, and that's what I find so inexplicable. Th these are people who can't be surprised that we have an expectation for them to repeal and replace Obamacare, to uh, get rid of the Iranian deal, to bring some tax reform and tax relief to the country. All of these were the things that we ran on as Republicans. Um, everybody pledged that that's what we wanted to do. And it's simply inexcusable that these things have not happened. And, and frankly, I don't blame the president for going and reaching across the aisle to uh, spend time talking to Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. Not because I think he trusts them, not because he likes their policy ideas, but he's looking for somebody to sit down and say, let's govern. And if the Republicans won't do it, he'll find somebody who will. I hope that that forces some of these Republicans to get off high center and uh, get with the program. Well, I hope you're right. You know, Governor, another thing that I saw recently that disturbs me that I'd love to get your thoughts on, I, I watched some video of Senator Dick Durbin and Senator Dianne Feinstein attacking a Trump judicial nominee for her Catholic faith. Uh, several months ago, Senator Bernie Sanders did the same thing to another Trump nominee. Uh, and in my view, that's nothing short of religious bigotry. How do you react to that? And where is the media outcry on this? Well, the media outcry is absolutely silent, just like it has been when the so-called Southern Poverty Law Center, which is the biggest fraud in America, goes out and attacks conservative uh, Christian organizations but says nothing about radical leftist organizations that incite violence. Uh, the attack on people's faith is not only unprecedented in this country, but frankly, it's disturbing. And people ought to be alarmed, not just outraged, but alarmed. Because if we start having uh, a religious test and disqualifying people for judicial appointments or appointed positions in the government because they are people of deep faith, uh, then we have totally obliterated the notion of religious liberty and it's religious liberty the first of all of our rights as outlined in the bill of rights because it's foundational if the government can limit us on what we can believe it certainly then can limit us on what we can say with whom we can associate uh, with how we live our lives and it is the first and foremost the foundational right of all of our liberties this really should be of great concern to every American, left, right, liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican. Well, I can assure you here at the Trey Blocker Show, we are going to continue to draw attention uh, to that issue because it is a threat to our religious liberty and one that uh, everyone needs to be aware of. 
Governor, I noticed that you got a new TV show coming out uh, on the Trinity Broadcasting Network, and I want to cut to your ad for that real quick so we can show our audience uh, and so they can take a look. So let's take a look at that. You sure gain a lot of perspective running for president. And when you spend as much time in the heartland as I have, you'll learn a lot about what makes America so amazing. It's the everyday activities and down-to-earth people that still make this country move forward with hope and with confidence. There's a lot of America between New York and L.A., and sometimes we seem to forget that simple fact. The stories you hear in town hall meetings and on the corner of Main Street America, well, they're real different than the ones that come from the halls of Congress. That's why I'm inviting you to join me for my new show on TVN. Each week, we're going to be telling your stories and looking at issues that impact you. We're not going to hide our faith in God or spin any issues just to make the media happy. I like to think of my new program as a big old front porch where we can all meet. We'll talk honestly and respectfully about our nation. But we're also going to share laughter, music, and celebrate the good news and good people that make America so wonderful to call home. If you love this land of the free and the home of the brave, you're going to feel right at home with our show. Plan to join me, won't you? I'll see you real soon. So, Governor, tell us what your, uh, what your motivation was for this TV show. It looks like it's going to be a great show. Well, I hope so. We're going to do it in Nashville, Tennessee. It'll be on the Trinity Broadcasting Network. It'll air on Saturday and Sunday at uh, 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 Central. And it'll be very similar to the show that I did on the Fox News Channel for six and a half years. But I think uh, maybe one difference, because it's going to be in Nashville, you'll see a lot of entertainment and music. It's going to be a variety of things. We want it to be an uplifting uh, kind of show that people will find wholesome, encouraging. Uh, of course, I'll deal with some political content. I think people would expect that of me. Sure. But even in the political content, how I want to approach it is not so much to have a uh, ping pong tournament between a Democrat and a Republican fighting each other and yelling and screaming. I, I find that just frankly unwatchable. So what we're going to do is to focus on solutions. I'll have people from throughout the political spectrum, but I don't want them to come and give me their talking points from the party or tell me what's wrong with the other side. I want them to come and say, here's what we need to do to fix, whether it's healthcare, infrastructure, the education system, relationships with other countries. I want to talk about practical solutions and discuss it in a very civil and civilized manner. So that's what folks are going to see on the show but I think it will be destination television viewing. And um, frankly, our theater in Nashville is going to be stunning. Uh, it's, it's amazing what's being built out for that. We'll have a live studio audience, and people can get tickets for the show if they're in Nashville, which is a fun place to come and Abs be a part of. Absolutely. And I think they're going to really enjoy both in person as well as uh, the television version of it. So please tell me we're going to get to hear you play some music. Absolutely. I'm not going to have a bunch of music on the show and not jump in there and Good. play some of it. Good. We'll have a great house band, by the way, that we've recruited, a bunch of Nashville studio musicians. So it's going to be quite amazing. Uh, we'll have a lot of artists from you know the Nashville scene as well as from other genres of music that we'll have on from week to week. And uh, I think people are going to find it, uh, again, an 
inspirational, informative, and frankly, entertaining hour of television every week. Well, we're looking forward to it. So, Governor, we're running short on time. It's part of our tradition on the Trey Blocker Show to end each episode with uh, some words of wisdom from our guest, a Bible verse, a song lyric, uh, or, or, or a quote of, of, of your choice. Do you have anything you'd like to share with our audience? Well, since I was a teenager, uh, a verse of the New Testament that has meant most to me is Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that was a life-changing scripture verse for me because I grew up, uh, frankly, this will be a shock to people, but very shy. And never thought I would be able to be in front of people, uh, making speeches, doing things in public. Obviously, I've gotten over that. (laughs) But the reason is, is because of the impact of that verse of scripture. And it's a great reminder to me that um, when people say, well, you can do anything. Well, that's half true. I would say you can do anything, and then I would add, through Christ who gives you the strength. If he doesn't give you the strength, you might not be able to do it. If he gives you the strength, then there is no limit and no inability, just the ability to accomplish that which he calls you to do. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I think those are words that uh, we, could, we should all live by. Governor Mike Huckabee, thank you for joining us on the Trey Blocker Show, and we hope you'll join us again sometime. Trey, I enjoyed it very much. Take care and God bless. God bless you. And thank you all for joining us on the Trey Blocker Show. If you like us, please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave us a review. Until next time. This has been the Trey Blocker Show. If you like what you heard, please visit TreyBlocker.com for more episodes and a chance to donate and support the show. Thank you for listening.